I, I, I can wait. I do want people to come by and see my place at night now because we've got all the, uh, the, the Christmassy lights up. So it's a, it's a winter wonderland in the front yard at night. I like that. I like that. Does somebody with a porn collection as large as yours get presents from Santa? Yeah, more porn. (laughs) (laughs) He knows. (laughs) Man, if that were just a little less blue, it would have been a great intro. (laughs) Oh, man. in starting the perfectly accessible podcast episode 205 nobody knows really interested in starting perfectly accessible podcast 205 with the energy that we were just sort of making here uh, like, we got a lot of like a lot of weird there's a lot of weird energy that i'm certainly bringing to the table i know django is bringing to the table the conversation was a strange one to be brought to the table Roman still does look like a beautiful, excited bird. Um, so like that. Oh, now he's doing a little thing with his fingers. That bird, that bird ain't very aerodynamic. Holy like, shit! Like Where every every week it's comic. It's comic podcast. It's a comic podcast. Comic podcast uh, by a man who's about to make a big old poo tail. Perfectly acceptable podcast. Two hundred and five comics place. Bellingham, Washington. Three very good buddies who like to take showers together. Get a bunch of comics every week, and then we take those comics home and read them, and then we bring them back to our comic shop and uh, basically excitedly talk about all of them together um, here on this podcast. It's one of my favorite things that I do all week. It's definitely the most socializing i do no it's not maybe maybe it is it's the most mouths i see on any given day yeah for sure except for those days where i call mouth days and i just run by you and gape my maw at you as many times as i can in a single day there's those and every other monday when we have the book club like that's that's truly the most mouths i see twice a month um we let out a calling last week uh, we said, if you are listening at this point in the podcast at 204 at an hour and a half in, send us a voice memo right now. And we have several of those. Nice. That was, yes. that was a couple, that was a week after we advertised that you can pay us to advertise on the podcast. Is that right? Yeah. No one's taken us up on that yet. Maybe we just need to do that earlier in the podcast. Mm. Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast where you can pay us to be on our podcast. Wow. Okay. Brought to you by you. I'm not, I'm not trying to make money that much. <laughs> I don't know. We did say we were bringing a weird energy to this podcast, and this is what we're talking about right now. I'm Jeff. I'm Django. <laughs> I'm Roman. It's good to see you, boys. You guys want to talk about some comics? Yeah. Hey, okay. Well, uh, let's talk some comics, like let's... like Dave Chappelle. Yeah, dude. I I listened to three hours of Dave Chappelle stand up today. Well, this week we're going to talk about <laughs> Batman and Catwoman, number one. We talk about King in Black, number one. We're going to talk about Fantastic Four Road Trip, number one. We're going to talk about Strange Adventures, number seven. Go and talk about Daredevil, 25. Thor, number 10. 
Thor number 10. Going to talk about Justice League, Endless Winter. Going to talk a little bit about that other book whose name I wrote down because I don't have it with me. Uh, Chex Quest Anthology number Untold Tales number one. Oh, you know I've got that with me, baby. <laughs> you know I've got that. And, and then Django's got an Uber Underground Indie Power Hour for us. And then oh, Roman's yeah. got Roman's Mary Marvel Minute or if it's the Gooey Dump. I think Gooey Dump is amazing, but I do love the alliteration that Roman had come up for the Roman's Mary Marvel Minute. Yeah, I like those. I'm, I like them both. Yeah. Maybe we'll just do a combo. What about Roman's Mary Marvel Gooey Dump? But it's not all Marvel. Yeah, and that, that doesn't quite have the alliteration. Mary Monday Gooey Dump. Ooh. Because it goes up on Mary Monday Mon- usually? Oh. Lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll work through it. We'll work through it. But that's not why we're here right now. What we're here for right now is to talk about these dang books okay guys batman catwoman came out we've been super super excited about this book for well since tom king got ousted off of that great batman book he was doing also he didn't get ousted jeff be responsible you're giving information to other people right now don't interject baloney like that but there was just a burning need for jimmy tiv to take over and spread some mayo on the batman franchise yeah this <laughs> yeah uh, is an extra, extra mayo batman run um but batman and catwoman was not that was tom king clay man and timo mori i think every tom king first issue i'm like that was good but i wish i had a little bit more teeth mm-hmm. in me to know where i'm going like that's just you know rorschach strange adventures batman catwoman his first issue of batman uh mr, mr. Marvel. miracle mr marvel as well the gooey dump all, all of them it, <laughs> but i did love this one um i don't have it in front of me though mm-hmm. gentlemen so i'm oh, wow. yeah Roman, just, you just made a sound that i loved oh i'm sorry i just because i opened it up and i realized the the splash page, which goes across the inside front cover, is a is a oh, what do you call those things at Christmas time? An advent calendar. calendar. Yeah, it's an advent calendar. I didn't even notice that when I jammed it in my maw earlier. You know what I'm excited is that it's 12 issues long. So if it comes out monthly, the final issue will be coming out in December as well, and it'll the advent calendar reference will be meaningful once again. Oh, oh holy shit! That is that's amazing because um, I've been hoping for something like that since Grant Morrison released Klaus, <laughs> a six issue series that neither started nor ended super close to Christmas, right? And I think it got turned into a seven, like five issues in or something like <laughs> classic Grant Morrison fashion. Oh, wait. You know I, Let's uh... stuff some more fat in that. Um, we got lost on the way to the Klaus party. <laughs> I wish I had the copy of Batman Catwoman with me because I do love it. And I wish I was flipping through it. The art was gorgeous. We did mention that like it's uh, Clay Mann who did Heroes in Crisis and good portions mm-hmm. of his Batman run. But it, there's like a different <clears throat> coloring thing going on than in like Heroes in Crisis. It's a little bit more muted. Yeah, the colors are muted, and I feel like some of the art is a little sketchier, like more cross-hatching and um, yeah. like less, I don't really want to say less confident lines, but it looks closer to pencils than Clayman's inked work usually looks. And a little less like just overtly sexual as well. I, You know, Justin had a theory in Heroes in Crisis that it was kind of somehow tied back to like the sexualization of characters. I'm not sure if that like came totally to fruition, but... Uh, it would make sense to me considering the art has changed. It's not just his definitive style, right? Like this is a, a kind of different thing, but. I don't want to contradict you, but I think this is very sexy. 
Like there's not a single shot of Catwoman where she hasn't figured out how to show us her butt. Yeah, I don't think that it's not sexy, but I think Heroes in Crisis was like a new level of um like there was there was one issue where we were like we yeah. had a quite a long conversation about it. But I do think like this is very glossy, sexy. Glossy Barbie sexy. Yeah. Um it's Catwoman when she's old showing up outside of a Florida apartment RV type looking thing and Seabird Island. Yeah. Talking to this person and catching up and spoilers for everybody. It's spoiler time. Kids, they're spoiling. There's a spoiler session. Hey. Spoilers. Yeah. spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> but the old man that she goes and talks to is like old Joker whose makeup and hair changes. And then he, well, I guess he takes his wig off and then he maybe looks like he's maybe going to bite her. And yeah. Um, he yeah. says that he says that he's some new villain. Well, the flashback, it's revealed at first that he's some villain we haven't heard of before called the Sewer King. Oh. Wait, Joker was the Sewer King? That's what I got out of this. That, <clears throat> yeah, because when she goes to visit this dude, um, and there's some pages with Batman and her. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's talking to her and he says, it's so good to see you. And then it goes back to this flashback of her, Batman in the sewers, talking to the Sewer King who has the same color shirt as this old man. Um, and, then it moves, and then it moves into another scene with Catwoman pulling off this crime and the Joker's there. Because I did, I, I, that was my question to Django was sort of like, do you think that she knew it was him? And the impression is, yeah, because she does say like, I'm going to kill you now. Like now that Bruce is dead, she, you know, she tells mm -hmm. this old guy that Bruce is dead. Mm -hmm. So it does seem like maybe she hasn't been killing him. And she does say like, this is for Andrea, right? Right, Andrea Beaumont. Yeah. yeah. Which Jeff, I was excited to talk to you about this because I didn't, I didn't know anything about this going in. I don't know if you guys did, if you knew Andrea Beaumont was part of this. Mm -hmm. But she's from your favorite Batman movie. She is, yeah. Some of the promo art had um, the, the Phantasm in the art. So it was announced that like it's going to be the first comic appearance of the Phantasm, who is Andrea Beaumont's characters. It, but it does sound, and I'm glad to hear that it seems like they're not introducing the Phantasm and then the idea that she is the Phantasm in this story. They're not telling that story again. They're kind of just saying like, okay, well, Andrea Beaumont, we're going to assume you've met that character in the movies and that you've seen the Phantasm and that's her and we're not going to necessarily spend issues revealing that. Or it was the impression I got. So I remember, I just watched Mask of the Phantasm not too long ago, but I don't remember what happens to her at the end. In, in the end of this, she digs up the costume, mm -hmm. the Phantasm costume. And one thing that I, I wanted to note is that this issue takes place over three separate timelines without a real clear visual or text way for you to tell them apart. And that bothered me for about 10 pages. And then once, once it clicked, I was like, okay, this doesn't bother me at all. They're, they're pulling it off. And I knew where I, what time I was in for each one of those. Question. Yes in that Batman annual that has moments in that time as well. Did they, mm -hmm. do you remember if they clearly delineated time frames or like, was it just like later and now, or did they even say like, it was at 40 years later, you know, like the scenes of her and Helena talking and um, I feel like the, died. I feel like those scenes of her and Helena talking are her old. Right. They were, and yeah. then if it's not her and Helena talking, it's her and Bruce on his deathbed. 
And then the other things are like not continued. It's like, here's a vignette. Okay. Here she is talking to Bruce. Here's a vignette. I thought it she... took place over a couple time frames. And I'm just curious, is this a thing he's been doing in that Batman run is doing time jumps and not clearly delineating that? Like, yeah. is, 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 is that moment of frustration you had a thing that we also felt uh, earlier in his other runs? Definitely could be. I love it. I'm incredibly excited to be reading it. I think DC needs more things like this. Um, Batman and Catwoman, Strange Adventures, these like, you know, year long, high prestige books, three jokes series. Yeah, because we're getting a lot of, you know, books. I'm actually, I kind of want to talk to you guys about Future State. I'm excited to talk about that. Or maybe we should just do something else for that at some point. But you know, what's interesting this is going to be about as long as the three jokers right like three jokers was three triple size issues mm-hmm. which would be nine nine comics and this is going to be 12 so like that's that's a lot of story it's a lot of story those those three jokers issues are they were they triple size they felt more like four they might have been to four me. yeah roman what did you think about this mr regina um, I really liked it. I'm wondering how confused I, I got. Because, yeah, I thought that that old man was Sewer King, but maybe that has nothing to do with the old man. I just, just the placement of it in the story, I thought it was him. And then I was surprised when it was, when it was Joker, but there are visual clues. Besides what they're saying, there's visual clues that there's Joker. I mean, there's a big purple flower right behind his chair. Well, my question <laughs> to Django, though, was like, am I to believe that Joker has not only children, but grandchildren based on this conversation? And he was like, well, he was with Harley. I was like, that's a good point. You know, Harley would have had a kid. I guarantee punchline is uh, of an appropriate age to be fertile. That's true. We do have reason to believe she's in college. There's there's a lot of mysteries here because there's like one panel. Dude, Roman just said, there's a lot of mysteries here. And he grabbed a magnifying glass from beside him in the most like Sherlock Holmes moment I've ever seen him. There are many mysteries afoot, boys. Listen, gang, there's quite a mystery. Scooby, get over here. Um, There's one panel when Catwoman uh, goes into this old man's place. He sits down. She's looking at the pictures and the camera's behind the old man. So you see a view of the like the armoire and his reflection in it but his reflection has it looks like a yellow mask on and he doesn't have a mask on he has glasses on but the reflection is definitely a yellow mask with like points on the temples like a bat mask kind of so did um i was wondering because i don't remember now what tom king had established quite about the future of batman and catwoman Catwoman reference, references the Bertinelli family and she references Helena. So in old continuity, that was the Huntress who was the daughter of Catman, Catwoman and, and Batman. Is that what we're also referencing here? I, I think in that annual and in the previous stuff, it was almost as if he had taken the Earth 2 thing that happens with Catwoman and Batman and made that a thing that happens later on in Batman's life. But I don't know that that's true. It, either that or, because we did have this conversation upon reading that, or is like, or is this future relationship they're having on Earth too? And again, it's the whole like, you know, all things are happening in the Omniverse, so it doesn't really matter. But I agree that this idea that they have a daughter together and it's Helena is an Earth 2 thing, I think yeah. I learned from you. Okay. So they keep using that in here. But um, it's also a, a late a late life Batman rebirth tom king's batman storyline thing like that was that was what they established in that annual number two and until 
we actually know that this Helena is Huntress, he could just be doing a little wink, wink, nodge, nodge, yeah. like in an Earth 2, they did this. So if they have a few, you know, a kid, they could name yeah. it Helena or something. Yeah, I don't even remember if there is a Huntress currently in the Rebirth DC that's universe. A good, that's a good question. <laughs> I bet I bet there is. I will give it a nine. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's well-written. I'm excited to read more. Hard for me to give a Tom King number one a 10, just because the nature of his stories, he doesn't give you a huge amount in the first issues. Yeah, I, I give it a nine too. Nine also. Okay, I was going to say, we don't use decimals unless they're fivers. <laughs> I'll, 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 and I will give it a nine as well. I'm very intrigued, very confused, but in a good way. But are you horky? <laughs> sure. I'm horky. <laughs> okay, future state. Guys, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. I think that this is exactly the type of thing that DC needed to do because there are these maxi series coming out in prestige format books and those are great, but I think a lot of just their the body of their catalog is in pretty desperate need of some type of like clear and i i really like these line wide things i can't guarantee it's going to be good but the creative teams all look good or are names i don't know and i'm very into taking a two or three month break from a lot of this current stuff that feels uh, a lot of it feels forgettable. I mean, there's lots of good yeah. stuff. And a lot of it is stuff that we, you know, we're reading because we like a character we've been reading forever. So we make it through the stuff that's less interesting. But I, I'm very excited for a line-wide shift in tone and just to see what's going on. And luckily, it's um, they're going to keep some of the more oddball things going. So they've mm-hmm. got the the black label stuff that is removed from the DC universe. So we're still going to be seeing Batman and Catwoman out on time we're going to see um uh strange adventures out on time like stuff stuff like that is going to continue um and yeah like the creative teams all like you said look good or potentially really good and uh i i like the conceit i always like it when they show you a glimpse into the future uh i don't have automatic faith in the omniverse concept but if they handle it at least medium well i think it i think it's setting them up for a a bunch of good stories that are able to be more creative, right? I almost like, just feel like we live in the omniverse and the only, like, it, you only don't if you talk about it. Like, I, I, right. I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like anything has changed to me. Yeah, but it also, like, it gives them the opportunity to put people in real peril. Right, because each story is its own. Yeah, I, I like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was hoping for with Batman Three Jokers, which mm-hmm. I, I loved it by the end. But I, it, it had the feeling that like, oh, they might like they could kill off Jason Todd in this book. They could you kill know? the Joker in this book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, on the topic of like shared universe and shared time and place, King and Black Number One, Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman. This is a weird thing that, like, I think I'm an issue behind in Venom. But I'm like, oh, okay. I thought we were on like another planet doing some weird stuff, like on a different reality. And and now we're just back in New York and the King in Black is here and it's affecting all of the Avengers and the entire planet. Mm-hmm. And I'm in not- In some very visually pleasing ways. Very visually pleasing ways. Um, but like, it doesn't feel like if this is what's happening in the Marvel universe, which is arguably, you know, the most like, oh, look at there's Spider-Man swinging over that building over there. And you read Spider-Man, he's on his way to this. Like, there's a weird amount of like, oh, I, I okay, does everyone, I don't know. It, it was the least like event feeling thing 
Well, that's because the spinoffs haven't even started. Just, but just like, you know, like, and I was thinking, is this because of the pandemic? Does it just like, do events feel bigger when there's a lot of people talking about them or something? Like there, it didn't, mm-hmm. there's been a lead up, but now I'm just like, oh, I guess we're here. Roman, please. You know, I, I appreciated that in the back, there's um, <clears throat> a, a two page vertical layout of recap because I haven't been reading Venom at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, apparently what you're talking about, uh, it happened in the free comic book day, Spider-Man Venom 2020 issue. And it says that was two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Which hasn't come out yet. I was like, so I think this event was supposed to come out like seven months ago. Or did it come out? I don't even remember. The free comic book day issue came out whenever the okay. quote unquote free comic book day of pandemic was. Um, but this, this, yeah, this timeline in the back is the only way I was able to yeah. know what the hell was going on. That was two weeks ago story time. Yeah, I, that was my thought. It's like, is that two weeks ago story time <clears throat> or was this an attempt to be two weeks after that? Dude, Marvel Comics are still advertising things that say April because right. there's is- no way that they would put a real time timeline and something they just invented yeah i mean I, your point makes me feel even more firmly that it, it could would. be like, <laughs> like everything else said april and it's coming out in november so it's like oh i this anyway um cool thing about this is they did these like random variants they did like a one in seven or something variant we got like five or six of these random variants which marvel always does but if you got a king in black from our store the cover has like venom standing there and the hulk is above him and the null is there and there's a rare variant that instead of hulk being there it's thing so everyone get out your copy of king and black number one and see if you got the, the standard cover if you got the the rare variant for that one we didn't even catch it until late in the day um okay yeah i love this I thought it was awesome. I haven't been reading Venom. I haven't been reading Thor. I haven't been reading much in the way of like major Marvel continuity books, but this, this gave me all what, what felt like all the information I needed to know. I guess it would have been helpful if, if I had known that um, Dylan was Eddie's son. Like Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that I know from reading Venom number eight or whatever ages and ages ago. Um, I thought that the art was amazing. The colors were great. The story was not super complex, but it had enough twists and turns that I was engaged. The entire, like there, it feels like actual peril with the, the whole world being enveloped like it is. Um, the, the final twist at the end, I thought was pretty solid. The, the final picture at the end was amazing. The, the, way that the Avengers are like, oh yeah, here's what we're going to do. And they're like, oh fuck, that didn't work. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I mean, as, as kind of an outsider looking in, I was super impressed with this issue. Nice. I didn't love it. I don't, I don't know that I love Ryan Stegman's whole take on Venom, like <laughs> art wise, like a lot of these shots of Venom. Um, like we were talking about this just, I guess like the Tuesday, but Jen was like, are you still reading Venom? And I was like, I am. He's like, is it good? And I was like, I, I don't know, but I'm still <laughs> reading it. Like, I don't really like the whole conceit of Donny Cates Venom symbiote, like the way that they relate to one another and he calls them my other. And, and the whole dynamic between them is not what I like about Venom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of like a conversation about abusive relationships or that's how it started at least. And it's kind of but like their interplay is kind of weird, but it, the, the symbiotes are very like 
almost like little pets or something. And that's not how I really view them. Um, but so that's like kind of my problem with the Venom thing as a whole. But then even like, you know, Stegman's art, while it's gorgeous, but just the way that he draws the symbiotes, they're like kind of Saturday morning cartoon, but not even in like the, I'm, I'm not trashing it. I, I just like, I have, I, I was having complex feelings about it. Ultimately, that's my thoughts on his Venom run. I don't, has Donny Cates done a great event yet? Like Absolute Carnage had the same problem that I feel like this had, which is like, what is the direction of it? Like, what is this? And I like that you thought there were stakes, but to me, the fact that nothing else is really talking about it or nothing feels related to it and it, there hasn't been a clear buildup, I was like, it doesn't feel like there was stakes to me. I was like, if the entire earth is wrapped in a symbiote, and then every other Marvel book that came out this week is not related to that at all. It, it, well, maybe it happened Wednesday night. Oh, I didn't even think about Wednesday night. Holy shit. Okay, so that makes sense to me. But Stegman's art is gorgeous and the coloring is gorgeous. I, yeah, just like Donny Kate's whole... Somebody else talk. Sorry, I just sounded really negative. I'm, not, I'm just like actually trying to figure out my feelings of, and I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm, I'm conflicted too. I mean... There's things in this I really loved. Uh, spoil, I mean, spoilers, there's a big thing in the middle with the Celestials that I thought was awesome. and That was awesome. That the, was awesome. Yeah, the, the surprise kind of person that shows up at the end was awesome. Um, I, like then, the idea of, I like the idea of the symbiotes like covering the entire Earth in darkness because you know, that's going to cause all sorts of tidal problems and catastrophes on top mm-hmm. of their symbiote dragons and stuff everywhere. But uh, on the small scale stuff, I didn't care about the. I felt like it was a, like a lot of events. Like, oh, here's a panel of these characters. Oh, look, Captain America and Black Panther are running. Next panel, there's Captain America standing with other heroes. What happened to Black Panther? I don't know. Oh, look, there's Magneto. Oh, he's not doing anything. <laughs> totally stylistic thing for me. Like dragons, like symbiote dragons. I don't know. Like, oh no, those are symbiote pterodactyls, man. Oh, I didn't even. Okay, so Wednesday nights pterodactyl. <laughs> I get it. Like, all... we we just read like those. Those things we just read opposite. Well, these dragons have been around <laughs> maybe for they're pterodons a year now. Like oh, they've really? been, yeah. Like, yeah. It, and I complained earlier on about like just Noel's design is very medieval, and he has these yeah. dragons that are medieval, and he has a giant lance, and like all of that is kind of like when you get annoyed that an alien race has like Ted is the name, and you're like, right. well, that's not happening. Okay, I think all of that is legitimate gripes about it. Um, I just happen to really enjoy it. And it's probably partly because I don't read a lot of Donny Cates ongoing. So I'm not burned out at all with his ideas. Everything in here was fresh to me. Right. I did. I was tired of Noel by the end of this issue. So like four pages and I'm sick of the, the main bad guy and I don't care about him. I loved the way the dragons looked, especially when they were all coming down out of space uh, yeah. into the city. Yeah. I, I don't know. I... I would hand this to, if somebody came in and said, I'm curious about Marvel events, I think this might be a pretty good jumping on point. I, I think you're right on the money. I, I think that like all that stuff I just listed is stuff that I could have said a month and a half ago about the Venom series. You know, right. like the way the art <laughs> looks, the way that like the villains, like we've just for the last year and a half, it's been Nola's coming. We're like, what does that mean? Like, is right. it Bendis? Is it Kirby? Who's coming and why? Uh, so so none of that is related to this book. And I think just dropping into this without having read the stuff around it and not having things that annoy you about the things leading into it is probably a great way to go. Because I don't, like, none of that 
is a complaint about the execution of the book. It's like my tastes on the things building up to it. So I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think you can give this to a lot of people and it'd be great. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I mean, some of the things I don't like, there's a couple dialogue things in here I don't like, but somebody that's not me, you know, wouldn't care that Captain America wouldn't say couple of these phrases like that right it just get right into the story how fucking dumb is it that the guy on the podcast was like and like i don't know there's a bunch of other marvel books that came out this week and nobody mentioned it so like how much of an event is it like fuck that like this book is going to live as a paperback and it doesn't really matter you, you know? do our orders man you know how many are coming yeah, you're Teen right. Black comics are coming. Are coming. Well, that's what happens behind the Kate's Gate, right? You part the kimono at the Kate's Gate, and you're going to have some hot <laughs> takes. I give this book a 7.5 or an 8. I'll go 8. We'll round up. I think that's a good, it's a good, fun Marvel romp. I, I almost let our conversation drop me half a point. No, bud. I'm going to give it a 9. Yeah, don't let Jeff I really ruin your life. Well, no, you, you you didn't have a single bad point, but I really liked it. I Fuck really, yeah. really liked it. Cool. And I reserve the right to hate it by the time it's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, between the two of us, I will still be making myself read it and you'll like four issues and be like, no, nah, I'm done. I'll be like, all right, well, I'm just going to be unhappy. <laughs> I'll give it a seven. Nice. Lower than me. That's... He surprises what, me. What, what did you give it? I gave it an eight. You gave it a seven. Okay. I gave yeah. it an eight and Jen gave it a nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Jeff only gave it an eight because it rhymes with Kate's gate. I know, but you give me (laughs) rhyming schemes and I'm going to eat it up. There is a dangerous thing that happens, which is if several people are like, Hey, this thing is amazing. Oh no, he didn't like it. I did like it. I did like it. I (laughs) did. I did like fantastic Four road trip. Um, a lot, but when several people are like, this is amazing. Read this. It, that, is probably going to predispose me to disappoint you. Like I, I just that like my, the thing that makes a thing a 10 for me is, is different for everybody. And so when I go into, it, I'm like, Oh, this is a 10. And then I start being like, okay, well, where's the 10 in this? And then I just like, it's, it's like that scene in Pax Americana where the guy is sitting on the bench and he takes the dog apart to all of its pieces and then tries to reassemble it. And the dog is right. dead. That, that was my experience with this book. Liked this comic book a lot. Did you so, guys read fantastic four road trip? What a good book. Yeah. By Christopher Cantwell, who we've enjoyed a lot lately. Catch fire. And Felipe Andrade with Chris O'Halloran on colors. It's basically just a road trip by the fantastic four family set now. Right. Because uh, thing is married, but the kids seem much younger. That's true. Maybe the thing yeah. is just dating. And I loved that. I loved yeah, that they it, did not it, do the slot age up thing. It says on the title page it's set before, takes place before Fantastic Four number 25, which I don't know what number they're on now, so that doesn't hmm. really help me. Okay. <laughs> um, but this this is like classic, classic road trip, but on the way Reed wants to stop and study this uh, hole in the ground because there's some special dirt alien dirt and he does and they get to their uh shack that they're staying in and turns out that the dirt was bad and it was poisoning them and they all have different body horror psychological destruction that happens while they're while you're reading it and i thought it was amazing i thought it was super gross when it needed to be gross and um sue and reed's relationship was written really well and uh I just, I love it when something could be so 
ooky and still feel kind of triumphant by the end. I have mentioned this at some point in the last six or seven months. No, actually it was probably about a year ago. I am so grossed out by the things rocks coming off. Mm -hmm. It grosses me out so much. And it happened in the dance lot, fantastic four when he's fighting thing or the the Hulk on the Island. Oh, it just grosses me out so bad. Yeah. And the drawings on this, when it happens, like the art is kind of cartoony and goofy, but when something bad happens, it's, it's like extra graphic and strings of blood coming from the things under skin, like his muscles to the, the rocks that are being pulled off. Ugh. Yeah. See that face you just made? Yeah. That gives that comic a 10. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah when his plates come off, it's so Gross. visceral and meaty. Yeah. Um, the, on the topic of the art though, Philippe Andrade, an artist I'm fond of, and I think but I don't know for sure, but in, in Nathan Butcher, Nabu, um, has mm-hmm. like, early on in Ms. Marvel, there's a thing that happened where like an artist came on and like, I think that Nathan really didn't like it because it was such a departure. Nathan, call me, text me, um, correct me on this. But I think it was Philippe Andrade. And so as I was reading this, I was thinking about Nathan reading it and just, because Nathan read that Ms. Marvel thing kind of early on and getting mm-hmm. her back into comics. And I think that this art, to like a newer reader, it kind of looks bad, but then at the same time, like I think the more steeped in comics you are, or maybe not, maybe that's just a pretentious thing, but to me, I, I could see myself not appreciating this at some point and now appreciating it quite a bit because there's like a very, yeah. like it is, it's very stylized and weird. And it like, would be jarring to be a fill-in issue from any other artist. Right, right. So I was, I was just very curious to, if, if Nathan read this, if I'm thinking of the Miss Marvel issues that were this artist and, and what do you would think about it now um, or just this, this art style here. Um, Roman and your vagina, what did you think of this thing? I loved it. I mean, yeah, the, the body horror that Django mentioned, it, it's so well done. And Andrade's art is, I can't imagine now anybody else, any other artist doing this story this well yeah uh, and, he, and even franklin and, and valeria the way their powers going haywire which aren't really body horror things but it's still horrifying and the way mm-hmm. he, they show it through the storytelling the way franklin's powers is going wacky it's subtle and but when you realize it it's like oh my god this is really horrifying too i it's so good think that's a great point the valeria thing was aside from the disgusting nature of the things thing that was happening valeria Mm -hmm. was the most disturbing yeah just Um, just the super smart girl getting the smartest younger and dumber and then yeah like just at whatever point when she like soils herself Mm -hmm. and like that is just like oh man that's that was hard well and and uh sue's eyelids disappearing yeah that was yeah, just every, everything and, and you know what it is it's just a total loss of control for everybody in there yeah guys the thing that actually was annoying me while i was reading this and roman just put me in a corner when you need to um i like this writer a lot i like this story a lot i like the art a lot i don't want to read any more stories about reed being a shitty dad i don't <laughs> i don't think that Unless that is the defining trait of Reed, and I just haven't read enough of it throughout the last 70 years, I'm tired of a book where he's a bad dad who neglects his family 
and manipulates them to be doing science stuff. And I think that's just a really, and he's not a shitty dad in this, but like, it's, it's just an easy writing choice. And we've done things where we've gotten past that. We've, we've written great stories like the Hickman one. Obviously I always come back to that, but, but where like he is an intellectual analytical person, but the thing that drives his character is his love for his family. And this is just one of several more fantastic four stories I've read lately where like, that's not the heart of his character. He's not a guy who above all else is thinking about his family. Um, and even to have the final thing of this be like him doing it again, it's like, fuck. I mean, but I think that's my love for Reed and who I, maybe just the one book where he's not like that. But I feel like he's, there's other stories where he's yeah. not as much. Yeah, I think writers rely on that a little too much nowadays. And it's too easy to keep on going back to that and just saying it's that simplistic. You know, because one of the reasons they all love him, the the family all loves him, is because of his his passionate curiosity. Right. Um, they don't they don't tolerate it because you know <laughs> as a flaw because it's not a flaw. Um, so I, I I agree with you about that. That was the one thing I was like, ah, come on. Well, she's like leaving the house. He's like, no, I'm gonna stay in today. And she's like, I know who you are. And I was like, man, that seems like a couple that's about to get divorced. You know, and and they and always I, feel like that to me. Yeah, and and, and but that's only been a thing, you know, only I guess I could say since like the I don't know the early seventies when <laughs> the first time yeah, Reed so. tried to experiment on Franklin and shut down his powers, and they almost did get divorced. But I love Sue, and I think she's smart and intelligent and strong, and you know, one of my favorite women in all of comics, and. I, you know, I don't like this, like, yeah, yeah, but she's stuck in a borderline neglectful relationship. Yeah, they've moved past that. They've evolved past that part of the relationship. So that was the thing that was like, in my head, like a one thing that I just kept being like, yeah, it's okay. It's another one of these stories. But, um, you know, again, I don't read enough Fantastic Four to have that stand out as a recurring theme that writers are doing. Like, I, I know that it's a thing because I've read some Fantastic Four, but it... Um, it just felt like part of the part of the character to me. And this is a fantastic comic. This is a thing four. where again, I'm saying I got pre-existing feelings about the Fantastic Four, an idea of what I like that character to be. It's you got they too don't many have texts to be that. about it beforehand. Yeah, this brain this brain's dumb. This brain's dumb. I give it a nine. I give it a ten. I get oh man, I can't uh, I'm gonna give it a ten. Oh yeah. I, 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 I mean even the villain in is one of my favorite classic Fantastic Four villains, and he's written so well. Roman, listen, we made it to that Fantastic Four road trip that was fantastic. All four of us did. The fourth member of that party being Chex Quest Anthology, The Untold Tales. Okay, I told Django and you and Justin, we all have to read this book. Because when I was a little boy, for some small period of time, if you went to Safeway and bought a box of Chex cereal, they would include in that box of cereal a PC CD-ROM game that was you being a Chex player on this planet that has been infested by these green things called like flemoids. And what was cool about that game was that it was actually, it was the game engine for Doom. So it was Doom, but instead of being a scary game in hell, it was serial people. <laughs> and it was the first first person shooter I ever played. And I used to go to my friend Chris Stebbins house and we would play it for hours and I never beat it. And it's awesome. And they just remastered that game. And I don't know why they thought that they should hire comic book people to do a comic anthology, but they did. And it's all pretty shitty eight page, six page stories about this serial tie in. 
and thank God you read it. What did you think about it for not having the context of the serial game? You know, the very first page, it was, and I'd completely forgot about this guy, the, uh, his name, the angry video game nerd. I used James to, Rolf. Yeah, I used to watch his segments online, and I don't even play that many video games. I just thought they were, it was really funny because he would only review games that pissed him off. <laughs> but his introduction here is about how awesome this game is. I've never heard of this before. I didn't know Rice Checks did this, and what pretty, <laughs> pretty awesome that they did that. Yeah, and you introduced me to this thing, and it's it's pretty charming. I mean, some of them are, it's, you know, none of the stories are memorable, but like the first one, it's got some very, some cool art, and I like the idea that these goofy force, the the main guy, the checks guy, that their armor, and there's a yeah. woman companion, their armor is a big rice checks, and, and the shoulder pads, what I thought were shoulder pads, slide together to form their helmet when they go into battle. <laughs> the character design is really cool if yeah. you're, especially if you're six or seven years old or something. Yeah, the square pretzel piece is this robot. <laughs> the queen woman are those little rye rice crackers, like the yeah. little brown crackers <laughs> that my dad used to say were fish guts so that he could eat them and we wouldn't. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I would say that the high point in this is the Tom Scioli story. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and he wrote and drew and lettered and colored all of it. And it's probably the longest one too. I think it is six pages or maybe they're all six, but, but like even down to like, they go to the Kirby source wall, like it's the <laughs> phlemoid source wall. And like, you know, the, the rye cracker queen goes through it and goes back to the base that she was in, which is like weird and meta. And I don't know what that means. Like she goes through it at the end and then ends up back at her spaceship. She goes through the phlemoid source wall. Yeah, yeah. Weird. And that's just one of those weird transitions that Scioli t- tends to do or, okay, I don't know yeah. if it meant anything or not. or what. <laughs> I, th- I thought the Scioli one was amazing. And then I actually really liked the one that just started. It was by Tyler Bentz and Bill Crabtree. It was one that started yeah. with this shot. Yeah, with the, that- with, yeah, with her, uh, the rice. Is that the rice? The rye? Yeah, the rye rice cracker. Thing. And she explains kind of the like origin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that one was cool. The art is... The art is very cool. Yeah, it looks like Ramon Villa, Ramon Villa Lobos or Ian Bertram or Raphael Grandpa is who it specifically looks like to me. Oh, is okay. Raphael Grandpa's art? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I regret with reading this is that I didn't have a, you know, a bag of rice checks with, oh, checks yeah. mix with me to eat because I really felt like I should have. Dude, the shot of him with the the visor closed is some like <laughs> rad shit they look so fucking cool but that is that is awesome and yeah i think that's the moment when i realized when i because i didn't realize oh that slides together to form his helmet oh that's cool <laughs> and then the like super acid 60s 70s like pinup art in the back with like technicolor like black light loved that the shioli thing was great yeah like there was three or four in here that were really well drawn and we're just really i i was making pasta sauce I was making spaghetti sauce and this was the perfect thing to be reading read six pages cut up onions stir the sauce read another <laughs> six pages yeah yeah the, the the pretzel comes to the rescue story that was that was charming mm-hmm. I, hard for me to rate it you know it's probably a six or a seven it's but it's just fun and inconsequential and you know, also seven or an eight if you are feeling nostalgic and like an inconsequential thing. My knowledge may vary on this one, but uh, I'm yeah. really glad it exists. Yeah, I agree. A, a six or seven, it was it was a fun read. It was just a, a little kick. You're a cute boy. Strange Adventures number seven, Tom King, Mitch Garrett's Evan 
Doc Sheener. We learn some important things in this issue, and we also don't know what's going on throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So what do you give it? I give it like a 12. It was fucking good. <laughs> um, it's, it's so good. Who and what Alan, Adam, Adam, Alan Strange is a, card, or is a TV show for my youth. Adam Strange. What his whole thing is about. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? You know, that's when we're trying to figure out what's going on here. We learn about some things that he has done and why he did them or didn't do them in this issue. Um, I really liked it. I really liked the art. I love this story. While also mm-hmm. not really, I don't, I don't, I wonder what having any idea about Adam Strange going into this makes you all feel about it. Cause this is the most I've ever read of an Adam Strange anything. And I don't well, like him very much. Gosh, I would say that the only person here who can answer that is Roman. I love Roman. <laughs> uh, well, I have read a lot of, bleh, read a lot of Adam Strange reprints. I read the previous couple of miniseries before Tom King's run. I don't know. I'm super intrigued. I like this issue a lot. A little bit confused. Apparently, Adam's been after the war with the Heights, whatever they're called. Um, he got captured and tortured by another former and maybe still captive of them. And maybe that's causing some of these things that we don't know if they're real incidents or not. But that's interspersed with what's going on with him and Alana right now with Batman and Mr. Mr. Terrific. Um, and it's all still a big mystery. Um, it still feels like another Tom King meditation on sort of PTSD. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the big reveal. And if, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't read this and you're invested in it at all, you know, pause this and go read catch up. But the big reveal is that he did kill that guy. Um, but he says that when he did it, it was because he was confident that he was a sleeper agent. And it feels to me like either the guy was a sleeper agent or Adam Strange was having some sort of hallucination flashback, just like a return to the trauma that this hallucination machine that he's trapped in on ran put him through. And it, so that yeah hallucination machine exactly what and like was he being talked to by a pick that looked like himself did, did you think that, that guy was supposed to look because for as great yeah. as this art is it like looked the same and different as himself well who are you talking just the about? hippie guy who's kind of keeping him prisoner the whole time oh i didn't i didn't have that impression i didn't think he looked like adam i i was unsure at some point but i didn't start being confused by that. I started assuming that they were two different people. And then I by the too. end, I thought maybe, maybe they're the same. I think it was about when, when Adam decided to strangle him. I don't remember how he got in that situation. Well, that's the thing either. that I think is the most confusing is it didn't have, we didn't see that, but, and Roman, you know, you, you elucidated something to me just while you were talking about it, which um, each of these issues has been the, has been the inter interviewing, figuring out, Adam Strange's shit on Earth with Alana and Mr. Terrific and Batman. And each issue then focuses on a different moment of his past that kind of paints the larger picture of who he is. Foolishly, and I don't know why my brain just didn't do this while reading this issue, but my brain interpreted all those scenes with that person and him being tied up as a thing that is happening as like the most present moment. 
And that, I think that's just a weird, foolish thing that my brain thought of because all of the issues have been a past moment. So Roman, like you said, he got probably got kidnapped at some point after the war and this happened probably. And he's dealing with trauma specifically, I bet, from this event. But for whatever, while I was reading it, I was kind of saying like, okay, is this our most true moment? And we're reliving a bunch of memories. So is the six issues we've read so far, is that some faulty narrator stuff? Is that a thing he's reliving? Like, or, or are the flashbacks that we've been having in the issues so far an instance of this machine? And we're only just seeing what's causing these moments we've been reading for the six issues beforehand. But I think that what you said is right. Like this is probably the thing that happened. And then the guy that we've been reading is a person who's dealt with the fallout of this situation that was happening here. It's definitely a flashback because at some point the, the dude who's been torturing him shows him ran being attacked by the picked ships. So like that's going back to the past before the war, during the war. Yeah. And on the other hand, I, it occurred to me too, that still that, uh, even though it's incredibly detailed, I, I doubt it, but it could even be that everything that's happening after, you know, with the publicity tour for Adam's book and all this stuff with Mr. Terrific, maybe that's all an elaborate, um, I don't know, coping mechanism fantasy to deal with whatever Adam's guilt is for the murders he committed in war and this guy he killed apparently. And that's kind of what I was thinking is like, I packaged it different of in terms of the PEMDAS order of operations of that math solution, which is we everything we could have read had, has could have been a thing facilitated by this thing moving forward, or it could just be another thing that we've been getting in all of these mm-hmm. issues. But I made it into a little bit of a different thing than I think that it is. There was like two moments where I just paused at the art and was like, that is amazing. The first is like page five or, or seven or eight, but it's just like the shot of his eyes by Doc Shaner, right as it's the top panel transitioning to a Mitch Garrett's page, the amount of emotion and like just that shot of those eyes and that nose. I was like, that is fucking good cartooning. And then the next one was just, it's the shot of uh, Adam talking to Alana and his daughter. And when she yells Adam and the daughter's eyes in her eye color, it's reflecting the technicolor experience that he's been experiencing like so his daughter's eyes are reflecting this experience that he's having in the future as he's looking back on this moment and i was just like holy shit so i would read the reflection in her eyes as his body exploding in the next panel right yeah right yeah that's holy cow i didn't notice that and then the bottom of that page where his body is exploding is the one where it particularly started making me think that it was Adam or like the picks are taking or are all of the picks are in costumes at this point. Are all of the picks clones of Adam are all of the picks, you know, like he looks a lot like Adam in that shot there. And we have not seen any picked not in a suit yet, except for right. the guy in the very first issue. But in this, he says, but that guy was a human. But then the picks came right. and invade. So now he's like, but maybe it's not a human. Anyway. Huh. Yeah. And that guy, I mean, he's got a different eye color and hair color than Adam, but his, his, his clothes, there's this patterning and, and rainbow colors with his clothes that I'm sure are a linking clue to something else. This at some points feels a lot like Mr. Miracle to me. I guess like the, the married relationship and versus the superhero relationship. 
it's a different story, but it's a lot of kind of echoes of Mr. Miracle. I, I dig that, you know, just another day of two buddies reading mm-hmm. things totally different because <laughs> I, you know, I, I stared up at the corner of my room for several seconds after you said that it feels like a meditation on like PTSD again, because while I was reading this, I actually, I don't know exactly what I think it's a meditation on, but like, to me, it's got a lot more to do with truth and trust. Mm-hmm. than the Mr. Miracle did. Where like Barda, I trusted implicitly throughout all of that. Whereas yeah. this one, I don't trust her at all throughout any of this. Right. Um, but then also just like fake news. I love like, and, and as I was reading this, like think about the first issue we had that you had. And we had that conversation where it shows the picture of the daughter. And one of us thought that was rose petals and the other thought it was blood. Yeah. And then issue three or four, when there's the conversation with Batman and, not Barda at the end and Roman and I interpreted it as like a fake news spin. You're like, no, it's, it's this other thing. You guys were totally right on that one. But, (laughs) but we've had, but I think that's the point though. I think that to me, it's, I don't think it is right or wrong. I think it's all ambiguously told. I think that what this is about to me is more context and spin. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the glasses you wear approaching any of this information affects what you get out of it. Like what is true? Who do you trust? And you know, the media, to me, it's almost a conversation about the media, right? Like Fox news or CNN can tell the same story and almost use the same words, but make you think an entirely different thing. Right. Like they, like you could hate a Democrat or hate a Republican coming out of a different, you know, but they could say the same thing. And that's kind of what I feel like this is about. So do you, are you hoping for, or do you think we'll get a definitive answer by the end? I mean, I, yeah, that's are we going to find question. the truth or are we going to be left to decide what, which version is the truth? It's a Tom King book. So I doubt we'll get anything super coherent or cohesive. Like I, I doubt we'll get a stone landing. Right. I don't think we'll, we'll have get to a Google it answer. afterwards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What if, you know, I really like this Al Williamson quote at the end of this issue um, where he's just talking about the, you know, one of my stories, the guy gets killed, he goes to another world, the bad guy gets it, then he goes back to this beautiful world with this beautiful girl. I think that's lovely. That's a lovely story. It should happen to everybody. What if this whole thing <laughs> is, is, you know, the story that it's all just a story and we don't, we never find out what happened to Adam Strange after this war. Yeah, though I've, I'm really excited for this book to be done to look at all those quotes again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I give this one a nine also. I think this book is, is amazing. I hope. Django, I, I love you. I think you're great. I'm going to give it an eight and a half, but I'm going to give that thing you just said a ten. Yeah. Ten and a half. I was, somewhere like, in that area. I was like, let's make Django on radio respond to someone saying that they love him. <laughs> oh, I love you too, buddy. But I do like I I really like that. I love even just in today's conversation about comics, the different angle which we've approached all of these things, and that mostly in my life I wouldn't be willing to be like, hmm, I disagree. Uh like I don't know. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm more willing to be like, Oh yeah, don't tell people that you I don't know. Anyway, uh they'll I, think you're a witch. Uh, Roman, what was your score uh, on it? Um, I think I'd give it a nine and a half. Nice. Good Lord. Um, he I gives would, it a nine I and a half from the floating kingdom of Roma Regina. I would give it higher, but I, it, it's got just, just a little too much of that shifting sand where I don't know where I'm at. And, and there was in the flashbacks, 
in the doc chain or art, there was never a point where I felt like I had any hope of knowing when and where things were happening. I totally agree. That That is my hesitance to going above a nine. Like this was the most, like, I bet this will make sense later. I've had to be with this series for sure. Hey, do you guys want to talk to me about Justice League Endless Winter number one by Andy Lanning and Howard <laughs> Porter? Sorry, that sounded, I just like, I, um, Abnet and Lanning work together so often that they don't work together anymore that I forget even yeah. like what are the separate names? This no, is Andy not- Lanning and, Mar- and Ron Mars writing. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yikes is right. Holy shit. All right, you guys kick this off. Okay, <laughs> why, okay why holy shit? <laughs> Howard Porter, Andy Lanning, and Ron Mars. It's like 1995 okay. in the comic book. Yeah. Okay, I thought, and, and, I thought there was something I didn't know about Ron Mars. No, oh. it's just Kyle Rayner and like. Yeah, it's just, it's just like. Uh, I personally, does just me think that Ron Mars is a really bad writer. <laughs> so this is, this is interesting because it's a nine issue superhero event crossover that DC managed to make us order all nine chapters of before the first one came out. So we have, and, and it's not returnable. We have no idea oh, man. if it's any good before we order everything. Um, Jeff smartly went fairly lean on it, but I think we have copies for anybody who's interested. It almost felt like a, almost like a paint by numbers setup to me. Like yeah. Justice League in the Antarctic, hanging out with some people who are in trouble and then ice monsters come up and there's an ancient evil it's been unearthed and you know then the whole world is snowing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean earlier when we were talking about uh, king and black we we're talking about big crossover events and um king and black is well much better than this i thought this did feel too much like paint by numbers i mean it's, i mean yeah this panel oh flash makes a joke <laughs> batman <Yeah>. scowls <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think that it was poorly done. I just didn't think it was super imaginative. Um, it it now that you guys pointed out that this is uh, 1996, come Great to life in a comic book. <laughs> uh, it it gives me a lot more context. Like I wouldn't be surprised if I if I had stumbled across this issue in my personal collection from the 90s. Yeah, especially because you know some of the villains like Rampage is in here. Um, speaking of nineties. Yeah. And it's, isn't it stag industries? Yeah. Stag industries is the, the corporate bad guys. And that's in my mind, that's super nineties stuff. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of really good or really bad things to say about it. I, I think it was totally serviceable. Um, yeah. Um, there was, I think my favorite scene in the issue might've been when flash goes to Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning's house and they're decorating the Christmas tree and they're just talking. Black Lightning never appears in costume or anything. Mm-hmm. I think that was my favorite bit of the issue. Um, some of it, you know, Catman shows up and he's with a different villain team and he just doesn't sound like Catman that's been through what Gail Simone put him through. And I was like, oh, I don't know when this is all this is all happening. And, and it's in the Oh heart. man, I totally forgot about all of the Catman Gail Simone stuff that happened in secret six that you just casually mentioned that is yeah it was was so 
yeah, it was so good. And Catman's in here and I'm just like, is this the same Catman? Is it a different guy? What happened to that Catman? And it's interesting too, Howard Porter, I really liked him on uh, JLA way back when with Grant Morrison. Mm -hmm. He's changed his art style or something. I don't like his art in this. Have you been reading Flash? Because wasn't he doing Flash recently too? Oh no, I haven't been. Okay, I think he was doing a bunch of the Joshua Williamson Flash. And he did like Throne of Atlantis, that DC event that happened like a year and a half ago, a year ago. Yeah, I read that. And even, I mean, to me, this looks even You know what? Actually, maybe different. he just did the covers for that. Oh. Might, might be. I, he Should definitely be. did the covers. But... God, I can't remember now. I mean, Trevor and I talked about that one. <laughs> what I do like is that, and what stopped me from reading it was that I got a couple pages in. I was like, oh, this is just straight up a throwback DC issue. I like that they do that. And Marvel did it a couple weeks ago or like a month ago. I can't remember what it was, but like maybe it was a Fantastic Four something, but we talked about on the podcast. And I remember saying like, but I'm also glad that they're just making these books for like 70s and 80s Marvel's fans. Like it. Yeah. 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 Which, which would be cool, but there's, I, I feel like there's some, um, the dialogue is a little too paint by numbers for yeah. me too. Like, I mean, there's scenes like of, flash complaining when they're in the arctic or somewhere the the where the fortress of solitude used to be antarctica um in the midst of things going hey how come batman gets a special like snow bat suit and i want a special bat suit and it's like well flash because you have a super speed aura you don't need it yeah. <laughs> i mean that's just dumb dialogue and batman's rich so he makes himself suits yeah. And I guess that the fact that they were at Superman's ex Fortress of Solitude location shows that this is not something that was written in the nineties. Although that's a little bit of scripting you could just change, oh. right? We came to the Fortress yeah, of Solitude. It's a kind of important bit of it though. Okay. Yeah, I didn't yeah. read Well, what do you two mighty men give it? Oh sorry, Roman, please, but also your thoughts. Well, actually the black lightning bit and the at the very end, that's where the uh the nostalgia for me comes in because all of a sudden we have a new team of superpower people that are some old old characters that are in a new incarnation here and i'm into that i would um, give this yeah. a six and a half and i think that for my money the best thing it did was make king and black better <laughs> um oh man I'll, I'll give it i think i'd give it a six maybe even a 5.5 5. i love you know, it wasn't, roman wasn't sure if you were going gooey duck or not Oh, no. <laughs> um, we just really quickly got to talk about Thor number 10. We're running kind of light, but uh, Thor. 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 Number Thor. 10. Thor. Donnie Cates, Nick Klein, Matt Wilson. I'm really liking this prey arc. This is chapter two of six, analyzing who Donald Blake is, what happens when Thor is being Thor, and where does Donald Blake go. Roman, as a long standing Thor fan, the mythos probably means a little bit more to you. How are you liking this? The mythos of just sort of like, what is Donald Blake's role? I'm loving it. I mean, it's all such a surprise um, because like I said, last time, last issue we talked about this, I, I thought Donald Blake just simply didn't exist anymore. Right. So this is all just totally out of left field and it's very cool. It makes sense that, yeah, if he still existed, this, this is what it would do to a person um, to be stuck in that situation. I kind of wish that he didn't uh, shave all of his crazy man hair off, but he yeah, does that. Was that was a bummer. I was hoping he'd keep that like crazy yeah. mystic crow weirdo look. What do you so think? So he could happened? hang out with Moon Knight and uh, the Sentry. 
he yeah. un he unbeta rays Bill in this issue. Yeah, he's so oh. powerful. I mean, he does some amazing things. I mean, he's he's apparently he killed takes, takes the horse out of Beta yeah. Ray Bill. Yeah, takes his his Odin his Thor powers away from him, and apparently he's it looks like maybe killed Jormungand, the you know the Midgard serpent, and taken his power. I wanted to talk to you about Jormungand, um, because I, I thought Roman probably <laughs> digs that like that the serpent at the the root of the world tree is that right or is it not necessarily the root but just the serpent of the world tree now i can't remember if this is a different serpent or if this is the same as the midgard serpent that encircles the earth and like eats thor or something at ragnarok that's okay. uh the french leviathan oh right the viathan <laughs> but i i really like the end of this and the way that it had that dragon showing up and then it does yeah actually i didn't interpret it as the dragon dying but now that i'm reading it and you're saying that it actually kind of looks like it but we have Donald Blake is like now clean cut and he shows up at the hospital and he's just like, I'm going to murder all of your Thor shit. All of the shit that you've done, Thor, I'm going to murder all of it because I'm insane. Yeah. I'm Everyone murdering you cared people. About... You're dragon. But he then he shows up at the hospital and he's just like, Dr. Foster, I presume. And, and then she's like, Donald. And he's like, Jane. And he's, she's like, I haven't seen you in so long. He's like, far too long. So I'm excited to see what Donnie Cates is going to say is the relationship between Donald and Jane. Because Donald, you're going to want to change your name. I would go by Don for a while. Oh, oh, the president that's not the president <laughs> and never was. Um, but yeah, there's actually a sense of like, oh shit, like he's going to fuck some shit up. I, I really like this issue. If you're a lapsed Thor reader or a lapsed rectum, I would encourage everyone to check out Thor number 10, Tor by Donnie Cates and Nick Klein. Roman, you unpack more of your feelings about it. Sorry, I just oh, put yeah, a jalapeno is... finger in my eye. No, no, no. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you need a doctor. Doctor Don. Put it Don. on your balls so you Change forget. your name, Don. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to get nasty because you saying that, I don't know, I just remembered that, yeah, in the old days, in the soap opera Silver Age days, Stan and Jack, uh, Don, Donald Blake was in love with his nurse, Jane, but she was in love with Thor, but of course, you know, Don couldn't reveal that I am Thor. So it was this weird triangle with himself. And now uh, Blake's going to get some kind of horrible revenge for that. Oh, man. I, I'm really excited to see yeah, what's going to happen there. Yeah. Plus, she's Valkyrie, so there's going to be some cool fighting. Yeah. I give Thor a nine, like another nine. A lot of nines this week for me. I'm, I still am only two-thirds of the way through my stack. I have five or six books left also. So, But yeah, a lot definitely. of nines. Definitely give it a nine and a half. For me, Thor's always nine and a half or ten. The big spec book of the week, I agree, Roman. I just want to curl up under the dripping, sort of dried, dripping ice cream of your chest and have you put your arm over me and let me sort of eat the dried ice cream as it drips and be protected by you and your enthusiasm for comics and comic history. You are such a man. Um, I <laughs> loved Daredevil 25. It was the big spec book this week. Came in, we were sorting it. And then as we're sorting these books, just orders, orders, orders came in. People from Florida being like, I want 10 copies of Thor 25. I need four copies of Thor 24, the variant, Thor 25, the variant. Like it's just, just disgusting levels. Yeah. Sorry, not Thor. I love Thor. Daredevil is what I'm talking about. Literally it's while you guys were talking about Thor, I went in and changed the title of all our copies of Daredevil 25 to sold out Daredevil 25 because yeah. I'm tired of canceling orders for it. It is, <laughs> it is 
speculators will try and pick a comic store's meat off of its bones. <laughs> I want to order 10 of your $4 copies so I can sell all of them for $30 a piece. And I don't care if you go out of business. Um, uh, so I was pretty excited to read it and see what the, the hubba was about. And weirdly, Daredevil at 24, I just forgot to grab it off the shelf. 25? 24 is where I forgot to grab it. Oh, and then I didn't read it. And then 25, I also forgot to grab in my stack. And I was like, oh, shit, I forgot Daredevil. And I don't know what happened, but for some reason, I just started thinking I wasn't reading Daredevil anymore. And I only missed one issue, and it was 24 because I read 25. It was just a weird thing in my head. I don't know. I've loved this whole series all the way through. But what would you guys think? I didn't read it. After all that hubbub, I just forgot to grab it. That's like, my point. I forgot to grab yeah. 24 and 25 on both of their weeks. I was just so tired of dealing with it. Like I set it in a separate stack so that just, yeah, I just forgot. Yeah. I heard Electra's Daredevil though. Wait, what? Is that true? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's funny because I was on Tuesday, I'm downstairs. You know, you guys are upstairs doing your thing. I'm downstairs doing mine and so i didn't know about any of this this flurry over daredevil so yeah it it made it more difficult to do our job um what i really liked is how differently marco Chiquetto has drawn electra at different times i love that in the bulk of this issue her hair is like in Skyward, Lee Garbit, his hair like the hair is just like flowing i love the free flowing electra hair but then i love the flashback shots of her with her hair that's straightened and like flowing down like he's drawn he's got several different um character models for electra for different times in her life and then like when she's just wearing the coat later on when she talks to the homeless person i loved that scene i loved the hair there yeah uh i really love that too i mean it's cool that in all the flashback scenes i mean she's basically frank miller frank miller john romita jr electra electra and then the current times, her hair is just wild and crazy. I loved it when she visited Matt, when she breaks into the prison, into the jail to visit Matt and like unlocks his cell and is trying to convince him to escape and he won't do it. Um, I love that conversation. And then, yeah, her conversation with the homeless woman just to, and kind of revealing why, giving a hint to Electra why she should care about nobody's on the street because she only bought it bought hell's kitchen to these properties to help matt i mean she still doesn't really care about people on the you know street level and we don't know for sure if she even cares about matt she stumbled across some uh prophecy with stick about the fall of the hand and it there has to be a king and a queen but ultimately one of them will yeah. die and that's why she's trying to recruit matt to be her king so that they can end the hand or whatever. Um, but it, maybe she wants him to be the one who will die or probably she's thinking to sacrifice herself. But um, I mean, everybody dies. Everybody dies. That's true. Okay. Can I, can I give you my pitch for what I would like to see happen with Matt in jail? Okay. I would like to see very little interaction with Matt in jail and just see how this affects everybody outside of the jail instead. So you That's still get hope. the super heroics and then... I would I would prefer to have like a six issue arc that's mainly focused on the Stromwinds versus Electra. Fisk. I I think it's going to be primarily Electra. I I think right. we'll we'll get little shots like this of Matt in in prison. Roman, what's your score? Any final thoughts on that? My score for that one would be actually a nine and a half on that one too. I I didn't see the twist coming. Love that. 
we've got time for segments. Mm. Who wants to go first? Because we've oh. also got voicemails as well. And they, I, oh yeah, voicemails. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I can go. I can be fast. I got three to four issues that I would like to talk about. I would love to hear it for Django's Uber Underground Indie Power Hour. He's so low today. So beautiful. So lucky. So, so wonderful. Low. So low. <laughs> Tell me about what's going on in the cool uncle corner that you've got here. Well, making sure other kids are cool. Gosh, uh, with a joke like that, I got to talk no about the. Uh, so low that was oh. good wordplay bud thank you i gotta talk about knock em dead which is a comedy themed a comedian themed sci-fi comic uh from aftershock elliot rawl and mattia monaco uh it just follows a comedian who's not very good and it takes a long time of you watching him fail in life and comedy before he kind of figures out the formula to tell his jokes and gets a ride home with another comedian. They get in a car wreck and his heart is stopped, but he's alive at the end in the hospital. So I don't know where this is going. It, it doesn't have real strong superhero vibes. It doesn't, uh, it, it feels almost like un until that sci-fi twist in the very last panel, it just feels like you're hanging out with uh, kind of a, down and out comedian what was um, that called it's called knock em dead and the uh the art is a little bit like scalera or um oh sean murphy um but but like if sean murphy or mateo scalera had off panels every once in a while uh, I, I would have thought that maybe they had done this. Knock them dead, number one, Aftershock Comics. Sometimes you kill, sometimes you get killed, but no matter what, everyone dies the first time they go on stage. Prior Bri Bi Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister, Ronan, wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future. Prior is determined to succeed. The only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up. That is, until an accident changes everything, leading both Prior and Ronan to discover comedy isn't all it's cracked up to be. That's why Jeff ordered that. What, Django, is it at all similar, better, worse than what was that comedy, that miniseries with the kill others? Kill them dead, kill them the... Yeah, the other stand-up comic, down-and-out down stand-up comic. Uh, so that one told jokes when the char characters were on stage. This one just has like squiggles and then emojis. So like it'll be, he'll be on stage and it'll be squiggles, 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 eggplant emoji, squiggles, and he flops. That's clever. And the yeah. next time he does it again, exactly the same, and he flops. And like eventually he throws a cheeseburger in before the eggplant emoji and the crowd goes wild. Nice. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a nice way to do that because I think because, you know, comedy is so subjective. It's hard to, mm -hmm. hard to write a good, like an objectively good comedy set in right. a comic book. And but I so like they just give you the cheat blah blah yeah, blah dick cool. joke blah 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 you know yeah it, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, um, what else is in this tra this traveling chest of wonders that you're trying to woo us into letting you be a part of our family on the road while you then go and sell light bulbs to other families across the country it's 1920s i got four families get it one, <laughs> one, one in every quadrant <laughs> uh awa upshot has er erratic roman erratic 
There we go. Uh, by Carrie Andrews and Brian Reber. Carrie Andrews wrote this book and drew this book. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. I only, the, only the first page looks like their art. Dude, it's gorgeous. It's, it's a super, it's super cool. It made me think a lot of Middle West. And there was another comic that we read recently that was set in a high school from Boom. Um, oh, The Unkindness of Raisins. Nice. Yeah. Um, and the Middle West vibe. I, the, the protagonist looks so much like that, the Middle West character. Yeah. And it's a, it's a story about a kid who arrives in a high school and, you know, he's, he's an outcast for those guys and then welcomed by these guys. And there's like, of course, uh, one of the jocks is beating up somebody who's definitely not Archie Andrews, but looks exactly like him. Um, and there's something a little bit nefarious happening at the school. It's one of the bad, one, one of the kind of shitty teachers just kind of flippantly tells the principal to go jump out a window and the principal does. Then this giant monster squid attacks and you find out that the kid you've been following has 10 minutes of power that he can use every day and no more than that. And so he uses his 10 minutes to save the girl that he's sweet on and her little brother. Um, I, I really, really like this book. Uh, and it's, it's not, it's, it's nothing super special, but it's a small story so far. Like we don't have universal stakes. We've got like a drunk out of work mom. Django, are you trying to tell me that a book that's well-written about kids with troubled home lives is something that you liked? Yeah, in high school, drawn well, like, yeah, believe it or not, Jeff, uh, you it's found just my that, kryptonite. It's just that, like, Django will tell you the books that he likes. I like crime books. I like mysteries. I like pulpy things. He'll never be like, because I, I don't even know when he realized it. But, you know, the other thing is, like, but I love books about kids that are well-written that seem like the kids are real. I love kid fiction, almost yeah. concerningly so. If, if I could pick this apart a little bit, I would say that the high school kids are too sexy. Like I would, I would. Django, that sounds like a that you back problem. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> they're just drawn like, like they're all drawn like uh, Mary Jane by Todd McFarlane. Roman, I'm going to give this a nine. Oh, sweet. And I I've, think, I think you would really dig it. Yeah, I, I need to read it. That's, it's, that's one of the ones every week there's one or two titles that one of us forgets all about. And I forgot all about that one. Yeah, I was sure you were going to remember it because you always sing erotic. And this looks a lot like erotic in erratic erratic yeah yeah, yeah. put your powers over my body for 10 minutes yeah oh, but no more than that <laughs> um so jeff tell us why bite. you ordered this comic yeah yeah so behind the, the kimono here is that just actually um uh, i would have ordered this um just all of the awa books have sold more than i would have thought um yeah. we've sold we've nearly sold out of all of them um, at, like the first issues as they've come out. So that, that was why I stocked up on it. But it says, you're 15 years old. You're suddenly granted incredible powers. Cool, right? There's only one problem. You can only use your powers for 10 minutes at a time. What do you do when you have to save the world, but you only have 10 minutes to do it? This is the problem faced by Oliver Leif, a teenager who has just moved to a new town, a new school, and having a hard time navigating classes and his crush before the interdimensional monsters are showing up. Those are the solicitations I get and a single cover when we order comics. So, so Jeff would Spider-Man meets middle West with Carrie Andrews art sell you better on that or worse. Mm. Well, 
actually what I remember specifically is Carrie Andrews writing and drawing it. Yeah. And the most recent thing that they did was Renato Gatiss. And while this doesn't look at all like that, or Jones. Renato, Renato Jones, thank you. Renato. But uh, so I just love their art. And while this does not look like their art, I, which was the the first panel, the first page looks a lot like their art to me, but the interior stuff mm-hmm. doesn't as much, which is, but I think that your description that you just gave is accurate. Uh, that would have sold it for me. He did the story about Spider-Man having sex with Mary Jane and his sperm gives her cancer and kills her. Jesus. Spider-Man yeah. Reign, R-E-I-G-N. Huh. Um, and just from there on out, I've been like, okay, well, you do insane stuff. So I'll check yeah. it out. And that's it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Django. Well done. Roman. Mary Marvel have, Minute. Do you have a do you have anything to augment Roman's Mary Marvel Minute? No. Oh. <laughs> Not right now. All, All right. right. Okay. Marvel Snapshot Civil War. Uh good read. It's good it was a good story. Uh just about, you know, kids that are locked up unfairly because they're different and a guy like the guarding them. That was kind of a big speculator book this week next was to Daredevil. It? Any idea why? why? Yeah. yeah, why? Um, I don't know. I Some first appearance, right? Don't know. Well, there's the one teenage kid that gets locked up. Oh, well, yeah, he's a he has powers. He's a superhero. Maybe that's why. A new character or something? Okay. But, but there's I, also I, a girl that gets locked up with him, and she has powers. I like that you would read and enjoy comics, and all of that sort of the speculator stuff just kind of goes by you. You're like, I don't know. I'm still just reading these comics like I was when I was 13. And I oh, yeah, yeah. Never been Daredevil? Come on. Yeah. Come on. We are, <laughs> right? Jeff, you had mentioned you also, I think you read Modoc Head Games, number one. You know, I dipped out. Patton Oswalt okay. co-wrote it, and I really liked it. I really like him, rather. Um, but right. it it was a little text-heavy and not gratifying. It was a yeah. little, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't super into it. Um, I wasn't super into the art. I like Modoc, but, you know, it didn't go enough into absurdity humor mm-hmm. that they usually do with Modoc nowadays. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't quite totally serious either because there were some moments when I was like, well, I think that's a joke, but I'm not sure. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Savage Avengers was great as always. Um, the main one I want to talk about is the union. Number one, yeah. the, first, the first number one after uh, X of swords. And it's by Paul Grist. Um, either one of you ever read Jack staff? No. Well, is God, is that Starman? No, that's Jack night um okay Jack staff is like a first comics or a comico okay yeah yeah and it was by paul grist it was around in the 90s maybe 2000s that was a british superhero um and paul grist he i mean he's known kind of for being the kind of writer storyteller because he did the art on that too i think that is kind of difficult to follow because he purpose purposefully makes his transitions kind of very subtle and you often don't notice them so it can be confusing if you unless you're really really super paying attention concentrating on his right is the way he does it i read mudman by him mudman that sounds familiar i think the 2012 book yeah um so he's known for that and he doesn't have you know a lot of exposition you know uh text blocks explaining things so it's going to be interesting to see him doing a Marvel book and if he tames that down or if he just does that as always. Because this is a team that, I mean, so far there's not really any direct correlation with the X books, but 
it's a new British superhero team. Each member of the team represents each of the the UK countries, and then they're mentored by Union Jack, who kind of represents all of Great Britain as a whole. And this is just their introductory issue. Other than Union Jack, we haven't seen any of these characters before, I don't think, except for maybe Britannia, but no, this is her first appearance too. So, you know, it's, I'm intrigued. I'll read the next one. Nice. I, I love you keeping up on it, dude. Because um, I was like, oof, it's a little off the beaten X path for Jeff to, to check out. Metal Men. Roman, I've never 12. seen something you have fit, if you know the, what I mean. <laughs> it's the last issue of this Metal Men series. And the cool thing about it, I thought, is at the very end, uh, Dan DiDio's in it. He shows up, he's shown up occasionally in the series as the bartender at the bar they hang out in and because the metal men like to sometimes drink and pretend they're human um, does he mention getting fired at the, the last page uh you know the metal men have all split up they're going their separate ways except for tina is going to stay with doc and they're finally going to have a romantic relationship i guess which she's been trying to do for the last 30 years 40 years with him tina or tina T- tina tina platinum we're running late okay <laughs> Um, and the last page, the bartender, Dan DiDio, is looking at a picture of the metal men in the bar. And uh, he says, looks like you're all going to be just fine. Doc, here's the keys to the place. You'll lock up when you're gone. I think it's time for me to be heading home. We all have new oh. worlds. I, we all have new worlds and universes to explore. And he walks out the door and it's the end. And he wrote it? Yeah. yeah. He must have written it before fucking March when DC no, started. No, I, I, dive. I bet that that is absolutely a statement about him being fired. You're in yeah, good hands. That's, that's what okay. I was thinking. I, I, listen, I haven't been interested in this series outside of Roman's interest in it, but um, knowing that Didio is fired and like that it ends on such a meta note, I think is is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool. Are you? I like for... Dan Didio. I like him. I, I like Dan Didio. I miss that guy. Like he was gruff, but he actually liked comic books more than any person in a suit ever seems to. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he loved, and he loved the Silver Age stuff. He loved Plastic Man, and I apologize because I always mispronounce his last name. Didio, is it okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. I can't wait for uh, Didio to write Dark Knight's Death Meta. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> one of the most meta guys that there is. Listen, we all got rowdy last time, and we demanded that everyone leave us voice memos um, and email us voice memos. Um, and a lot of you actually, um, pretty radly just emailed them to jeff at the comicspace.com instead of info at the comicspace.com, which frankly is a better way to make sure it gets on the podcast. So yeah, we should have been doing that the whole time. Yeah. So email them to <laughs> jeff at the comicspace.com and to the three voice memos that we got. Uh, thank you for doing that and knowing it. Maybe we even said that first one that came in. Hello, pap fam. I just finished episode 204. And as requested, I have whipped it out my phone, that is, and am now recording a voice memo and without really any thought about what I'm going to say. So I'm just yeah. going to free ball it a bit here. Get it. Um, answer Django's question first. Uh, the question? Clearly, yes, people would be divided about Superman. Um, you know, as terrible as Zack Snyder's uh, Batman vs. Superman and Justice League movies have been, I think that that is one point that they actually does, has a really solid uh, observation and commentary on where there's a lot of division uh, with the superheroes. Um, you know, we've also seen this idea in, you know, Marvel Civil War, uh, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, I think it's already been demonstrated in comics uh, a, a bit, at least to you know my basic low level of knowledge. Um, but there's not a doubt in my mind that uh, in this country that we're living in right now that this would actually absolutely be a, um, a, yet another point of division, sadly. Um, on to other notes, or maybe even on the same topic, um, Department of Truth number three. Yes. I want to throw my gooey duck on top of Django's. Uh, I loved it, and I got to just – I have to go on record to say that because I've been pretty critical on Jimmy T. IV. Uh, on whether or not he's actually a good writer. And I think I take it all back. I just don't think he's a great Batman writer, but mm -hmm. he's actually, uh, you know, otherwise been um, pretty phenomenal with uh, Department of Truth being kind of the high watermark for me, in my opinion. Um, lastly, I had a thought uh, earlier listening to Jeff talk about the synopsis of issues Um and I actually thought that that would be really awesome. There's a lot of times I listen to the PAPcast and you guys are talking about an issue that's already come out and has sold out that I wasn't necessarily on my radar. And, um, you know, whether or not it's something that could fit into a normal schedule on the podcast, but it would be pretty awesome to maybe take five minutes to highlight some, you know, notable issues that might be going on pre-order later this week or next week, um, you know, where we could get, get some good ideas for, for some books that might be coming out that we could order, um, you know, before the um, uh, speculators or whoever yeah. jump on board or people figure <laughs> out that it's good and buy them all. And, you know, you've only ordered three issues and maybe it would help with pre-orders. I don't know. I uh, just thought it would be a really awesome thing uh, to add to the podcast that would help us stay a little bit informed about things coming up anyway that's all i got you guys are awesome i'll talk to y'all soon have a great day i fucking love will elmer i he's, fucking love it's too bad he's married <laughs> he's pretty great did you hear how subtly he just committed us to doing another podcast though well so um um yeah i would say stay tuned to facebook I think that there is some sort of live video that will start going up weekly mm -hmm. that will get stayed on Facebook for the week that will be either just Django and I or Roman if he's feeling horky. And we'll take a look at what's coming out on the FOC. Um, it'll be an FOC-focused thing for stuff that is going to be coming out a month from now. Django, what I remember is that Django already does a huge amount of work processing all of that FOC stuff. It takes hours to like take these data files and turn it into a thing that we can actually order with and put it on the website. Um, so I imagine wrong. he's probably pretty tired of looking at any of those titles by Friday or Saturday afternoon. Um, but I do think that's the thing that we're going to be doing. But yeah, he's he's been doing a fair amount of work on like the Facebook just and the website posting things that seem interesting to him on the FOC and that's not a thing that he should only be doing. So I think we're going to be, I would like to have a reliable time that like on Saturday at seven or something, you could tune into Facebook and count mm -hmm. on a live stream of like Django and I talking, or it would just get archived for the rest of the week about things that we're excited about on the FOC for people to pre-order by Monday. Will, thank you so much for doing that. Now another wonderful person who just, whoa, Oh, okay. Sorry. Nathan sent two. And then he said, don't actually use the first one. Use the second one. I'm not going to read. I'm not going <laughs> to listen. As per your request, I won't listen to the first one. I love Nathan Butcher or Nabu as we call him. 
Hey guys, Ooh. Django. Good job ending the last podcast with a question. That was super fun, um, and I'm gonna answer it because you know I love chiming in. But uh, also before I do that, thanks for all the like new segments and fun stuff. And you guys are just making it a lot of fun to listen to this podcast when we can't actually go into the shop and talk to you or any of the people that we normally talk to. So thank you for that. Um, on the topic of the Superman being potentially as divisive as mask wearing, I think if he were real in this world today, I think people in their minds would care a lot for those who did care. And I think the opinions would be quite split. But the difference between Superman, did I say Spider-Man earlier? That'd be interesting. You're good. Superman earlier and tiger. masks is that it's, Superman himself existing somewhere in this world is not an affront to people's personal livelihoods. And it doesn't, it doesn't tug at that very, very, very fragile bone inside of people that has to do with like infringing on personal freedoms and stuff. There's no give the government an inch, they'll take a mile type thing that somebody's fighting against because we have things in this, like, you know, there are plenty of people who care about, uh, warring countries elsewhere in the world and they should and they're better for it but that there are lots of people that don't think about that on a day-to-day -day basis but when you wake up and you have to go get your groceries and you have to think about this every single day there's no way it'd be as divisive but it'd be really interesting to see whether superman would wear a mask or whether he would go out there and tell people to wear one or not. And I think even more interestingly would be whether Captain America would, whether he would kind of be his classic uh, face of a nation type thing and support mask wearing, or, or, or maybe he would go the like civil war route more when he played that kind of anti-state character, um, standing up for oneself and personal freedom. So I don't know. What would, what would Superman and Captain America do if they're kind of representing each universe's um, general good, pure good? I don't know. You guys are great. Thanks for doing an awesome podcast. Bye. <laughs> good God, I love that man. I want to cook That's... eggs on his abs. I bet he's got abs <laughs> that are just egg oh, yeah. cooking worthy. Um, we've got one more voicemail. Um, that was his abs, by the way. That wasn't like, that, wasn't that was that wasn't Nathan. Something. No, sorry, Nathan wasn't calling. Those were Nathan's abs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then to complete the trifecta of uh, amazing. Hey, can I guess? No. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Anything. Oh. <laughs> Anything. Anything. Okay. Okay. Anything. Django, I mean, do you really think that Superman would be as divisive as masks? He's, masks, at least, like, I don't know, some people can take them as a personal affront to their freedoms, but, and yeah, like Red Sun Superman, there's Big Brother Eye in the Sky, but ultimately, like, he's helping most people. Um, and yeah, there's going to be conspiracy theorists that probably accuse him of being funded by the deep state or whatever. Anyways, I, I no, it's, he's not going to be as divisive as masks. I'm sorry. I know you were looking for some <laughs> approval on that end, but you're not getting it from me, Django. I'm sorry. Anyways, y'all are still great.
And the award this, this for the like voicemail, the award for the voicemail that it most clearly mirrors what Jeff would have said uh, goes to <laughs> Andrew Carlson, friend of the show. I think the I, listen. Obviously, we already talked about it, the most important thing about these questions is that we don't discuss them at all. That was amazing. I loved every one of you sending those three. You, those three of you. Thank you for sending those in. If there is anyone else out there listening, stop what you're doing and send us a voice memo. You just record it on your phone like those three wonderful boys did. Then I think, oh, go ahead. And then you email it to Jeff at the and he puts it in the podcast. Jen, and, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, I don't think that there's an email or a voicemail that we haven't interacted with, except maybe by mistake or technical difficulties. Like certainly you can certainly be mistake famous. on my part. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for sending us the voice memos. I love hearing them. You all couldn't see it because this is an audio medium, but I grin. I smile very, very widely the entire time those things are playing because it mm -hmm. just tickles me that there are people listening and having thoughts and um, thoughts, thoughts. Uh, is what that <laughs> <laughs> that final voicemail was called. Um, well, on that note, get your questions, thoughts, and feelings to us at jeffwiththecomicspace.com. Um, thank you for listening. This was 205. I'm Jeff. And before we get out of here, Django has an important question for everyone. And That's you all can respond to it by sending a message to info at thecomicspace.com or jeff at thecomicspace.com. With a J. J-E-O-F-F. J -E it's J-E-F-F. There's no G or O. I'm not proud Thank of it. Thank God. Yeah. Um, well, I'm Django. And my question this week is, if you could reset the Marvel and DC universes to starting at a specific year and following the stories logically. So, for example, Batman's parents call an Uber instead of going down the alley. So you have to find a different way to kill them. Uh, what year would you like to see the origin of Batman, Superman, Iron Man, X-Men begin? Dang, buddy. If you keep asking good questions, I'll actually want to talk about them. Um, <laughs> one of these weeks, you're going to have to just put out a real dumper. Um, well, I'm right. Jeff. Who farts louder, Batman or Superman? Roman. I fart louder than those two? Wow. <laughs> no, Django's the loudest farter right now. Django's the loudest <laughs> farter right now. Okay, well, I'll do a... Um, what if, what if the man got Mr. Fantastic powers? Who? What if who did? Elongated man. Okay. Sorry. The internet's getting a little fuzzy. So what if elongated man got Mr. Fantastic's powers? Yeah. And wow. was in a relationship with plastic man. Ooh. That's some heavy shit, my friends. And on that note, we're going to get out of here. Everyone, we've got a, a whole section for time next week to hear those thoughts from everyone. And uh, we look forward to it. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of this. And we'll see you all next week for 206. What area code was 205, you butthole? You get too, Do you get caught up in your Me? bits? What area? Where? Who is this episode brought to us by you, uh, Mary Marvel Underground Power Hour question man? It's Jeff. Yeah. It's brought to you by the cities of Birmingham and Tuscaloosa. That one's from Ryan Russell. Birmingham, 205. Next week, brought to you from Seattle, 206. That's right. That's right. Represent. <laughs>